Good morning. Over the course of the last couple of days, we've been working our way through the four foundations of mindfulness, or the four establishments of awareness. And we spent the first day really practicing bodyfulness, the first foundation of mindfulness, bringing awareness to mindfulness of the body so that we had a a centeredness and a groundedness at the hub of the wheel. And then yesterday, you could say we moved out from the center of the wheel, just one stage into the second foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of feeling tone or Vedana. So yesterday afternoon, we were exploring how this building block of pleasant, unpleasant and neutral gives rise, if we're not aware, to all of our habitual reactions. So Vedana feeling tone is an interesting one because it's not purely physical and it's not purely mental. It has a bit of both body and mind in it. So in that way, it's a kind of a bridge between the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, and the third, which is mindfulness of the mind. And Vedana plays a very significant role in influencing pretty much all of our mental activity, which in turn affects how we speak and act in the world. So some of you are familiar with the opening lines of the Dhammapada, with our thoughts we make the world. So this morning I wanted to explore the third foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind in a bit more detail. And here in this third foundation, we're invited to open up the field of our awareness to look very directly at our mental activity. So we're moving one stage further out now from the body at the center of the wheel. And mindfulness of the mind includes all forms of mental activity. So thoughts, emotions, moods, mind states. So just a little bit about the distinction between all of those, at least the way I tend to frame them. Thoughts, pretty obvious, any kind of uh, mental thought process. And when we start paying attention to our thoughts, we might begin to notice that some of us are more verbally oriented. So our thoughts tend to appear in the form of words in the mind, a sort of inner dialogue. Others are more visually oriented and so our uh, thoughts can appear as mental images, visions of different kinds. Other of us... Uh, can hear music and other types of sounds. So thoughts can include uh, a whole range of different mental experiences. And then emotions also are interesting because often they have a physical component as well as a mental one. So for example, uh, we take uh, anxiety. With anxiety, there can sometimes be a sort of a hollow feeling in the chest or perhaps clamminess in the hands. We might notice shallowness of the breath and then in the mind a rush of agitated thoughts. So emotions are often a compound of physical and mental experiences. 
and they can be quite intense, but they don't usually last uh, for a very long period of time. Unlike moods, which I think of as sort of compounded mind states that often stick around for longer, they're more of a low-level kind of emotion in the background. And when we look at them, they're often made up of a range of different um, emotions that are interplaying with each other. So, for example, you know, we might say we're in a bad mood. Well, what does that actually mean? If we investigate it, what we're calling a bad mood, we might recognize perhaps a low-level feeling of mild depression or overtones of irritation or frustration or perhaps a little flavor of self-judgment in there. And usually, if it's a bad mood, quite a lot of resistance, this quality that I've been really trying to highlight as amplifying our dukkha, our unsatisfactoriness. So moods tend to be uh, more compounded emotions and they often last for longer than simple emotions. And then mind states I think of as mental qualities that don't have necessarily an emotional component to them. So they're more um, aspects of the mind such as to give a few examples, alertness or dullness. You know, they're a distinct quality of the mind, but not necessarily an emotion. So also things like concentration or distractedness, interest or disengagement. So mind states refer more to the overall quality of the mind rather than the content of the thoughts or the feelings. And so when we come to this third foundation of mindfulness, as with the first two, the instructions are to know the experience exactly as it is with bare awareness, without adding any kind of judgment or assessment to it. And the third foundation in the actual sutta, it pulls out just a few samples of particular mind states to look out for These are ones that are either particularly unhelpful to clear seeing or helpful to clear seeing. So I'll read you just the first few lines so you get a sense of of how it's laid out. Here, one knows a lustful mind to be lustful and a mind without lust to be without lust. One knows an angry mind to be angry and a mind without anger to be without anger. One knows a deluded mind to be deluded, and a mind without delusion to be without delusion. One knows a contracted mind to be contracted, and a distracted mind to be distracted. It then goes on to name a few other sorts of mind states, but always with that same pattern of knowing Is the mind like this, or is the mind free from that quality? So in the examples I just gave, you might have noticed uh, the so-called root poisons in there that I mentioned the other night of greed, hatred, and delusion, sometimes translated as compulsion, aversion, and ignorance. So at this stage in the practice, we're simply noticing if any of these unwholesome energies are present or not. 
And I'd like to highlight the or not part. Again, because of our inherent negativity bias, we tend to pay a lot more attention to when these unskillful and unpleasant states are present and to not even notice when they're absent. So one reason that I offered these uh, three questions yesterday to help us connect with our experience, these are questions that you can use at any time throughout your practice uh, in formal meditation or in daily life. But just from time to time to stop and kind of take a snapshot of what's happening in your experience right now by asking what's happening in the body. So right now, just flashing into physical sensations and knowing, oh, slight backache or, oh, feeling of lightness. What's happening in the mind? So again, just that momentary snapshot. Oh, there's alertness or interest or dullness or boredom. And then the third question, how am I relating to this experience? Or what's the attitude in the mind? And often that third question will help us sort of zoom out and bring some clarity to see, is there any kind of wanting in the mind? or not wanting in the mind, or not knowing. So that third question will often reveal the presence of these different forms of greed, hatred, and delusion. So greed, wanting, aversion, not wanting, delusion, not knowing. And so also, at times, it might re, uh, reveal the absence of these. And so again, part of the training, a big part of this mental training, is learning to get familiar with skillful states of mind. Because often, we're so tuned into the unskillful ones, we don't even recognize when more skillful and beneficial qualities have arisen in their place. And I'll be talking more about that as the retreat progresses but it's never too early to start noticing when the mind is free from greed, free from hatred, free from delusion. And in their place, skillful qualities such as kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, the four Brahma-Viharas, or the awakening factors of mindfulness, investigation, energy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, just to name a few examples, these naturally start to come into play when the unskillful states are released. At this stage then, the invitation is just to simply know what's happening in the mind without reactivity. And this, again, is quite different from our usual way of relating to our thoughts. And we tend to have two quite contradictory attitudes to our thoughts. One common tendency is to just dismiss them. Well, they're just thoughts. So for example, we might be spending a lot of time caught in resentment in relation to a workmate. And we might tell ourselves, well, it's okay, you know, I'm just thinking, it's, it's nothing, I'm not actually acting on my thoughts. But in the framework of the Buddha's teachings, this is uh, not so helpful because 
the quality of our minds does have an effect on ourselves and on others. And if we hold on to unskillful mind states or even unconsciously or consciously cultivate them, we're in danger of at some point in some way expressing them in ways that are harmful to ourselves and to other people. So to quote the Dhammapada more fully, it says, um, I'm blanking on the beginning of it. I think most of you know the um, that phrase is, when, I'll just give you the summary of it. When we speak or act with a corrupted mind, suffering follows as surely as the wheel as the, follows the hoof of the ox. And when we speak or act with a purified or peaceful mind, happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So we need to know the states of mind that we're in because they lead in one of two directions, either towards suffering or towards ease and peace. So on the one hand, we can have this tendency to just say, well, it's just thoughts, it's not that big a deal. On the other hand, we also have the tendency to take them far too seriously and to believe that we are our thoughts, to believe everything that we think. And you may have even had this experience on this retreat of just sort of going about your meditator business, feeling pretty okay. And then suddenly out of nowhere, some random thought comes in that's unpleasant and our whole world shifts and we find ourselves caught in painful and unpleasant emotions, sometimes for hours. And all because of one random firing of neurons in the brain. And when we don't uh, pay attention to our mind in a skillful way, we can so easily get caught in believing, identifying with and taking those thoughts very seriously. So, working with thoughts in meditation is a very powerful training to start to undo some of these uh, contradictory habits. And the first thing to say is that thoughts are not the enemy. In this form of practice, we're not trying to get rid of our thoughts. For most of us, most of the time, thinking is just what the mind does. The eye sees, the ear hears, the mind thinks. For most of us, most of the time, there will be some degree of mental activity. It's just natural. But even very experienced meditators can have an unconscious belief that real meditation happens when there are no thoughts in the mind whatsoever. And it is true that this can happen in deeper states of samadhi, uh, if we're practicing jhanas, for jhanas, those very deep states of concentration. But in vipassana or insight practice, uh, the reduction of mental activity is a byproduct. It's not the main goal. It's not what we're trying to make happen, which for most of us is good news because for most of us, there'll be some kind of mental activity going on a lot of the time. So we're not trying to get rid of thoughts. We are trying to change our relationship to them by simply allowing them to come and go without identifying them without, with them, without holding on to them.
So we're trying to find again this middle way between not suppressing them on one hand and not indulging in them on the other, not feeding them, not getting rid of them. A second aspect of thoughts that makes them quite tricky to practice with is that often they bring with them different kinds of emotions. And again, the invitation here is to try and know the emotions exactly as they are without taking them personally. So we can even think of emotions as being just like weather systems. Even in the course of this retreat, we've had sun and rain and coolness and heat and just like that these weather systems these emotional systems can pass through the open awareness of the mind and we don't need to take them personally so in this next uh, meditation session i'm going to be inviting us to begin to open up to thoughts and briefly emotions by looking very directly at thoughts And sometimes people find that when they're invited to bring awareness to thoughts, the thoughts seem to completely disappear. (laughs) They're like, where'd you go? Come back. You were here just a few minutes ago. Now I want you to be here. You've gone. That's fine. Just let that happen. If thoughts disappear, then you just know thoughts have disappeared. Other people find the opposite, that when they're invited to pay attention to thoughts, they seem to be overwhelming. So... Again, don't struggle, just know, okay, a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts, a lot of thoughts. You don't have to catch them all. Sometimes I use an analogy of like watching a busy highway with a lot of traffic. If there are a lot of cars and we try to follow every single car, we'll get very dizzy. But if we just settle back and notice the flow without trying to get the details, then we're able to stay more present. So whatever your experience is in relation to thoughts, just see if you can stay settled back and grounded and know, okay, thoughts or no thoughts or a lot of thoughts. Whatever the experience is, it doesn't matter so long as you have some awareness of it. Okay.